0: Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for today's podcast. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil takes on the character of a famous person in the Bible and through his dramatic presentation portrays the impact they had on history and our lives. Here now is Tim Smith to introduce our drama and prepare us for what will unfold.
1: From the 1st century BC to the 5th century AD, Western Europe and the lands surrounding the Mediterranean were under the absolute rule of Rome. Led by the Caesars, the empire bound together a variety of cultures and people and maintained power through both vicious military force and efficient regional government. Initially, Rome decreed Palestine be led by the Jewish king Herod, but eventually chose to govern the province directly using imperial prefects. This move was designed to quell growing hostility between Roman and Jew that gave rise to riots and rebellions, all of which were brutally suppressed by the sharp edge of centurion swords. Under this backdrop, Jesus was born, lived, and died, nailed to a Roman cross. During the years of Jesus' ministry, Emperor Tiberius appointed Pontius Pilate to govern Judea. Pilate proved to be an able administrator, though history has also shown him to be greedy, inflexible, and cruel. The puzzle that is Easter cannot be solved without first making sense of this mysterious man. Pontius Pilate was not only a character in a story that unfolded two millennia past, but continues to be the subject of speculation and innuendo as to his own ultimate fate. All of the major events in this drama you are about to witness are based on reliable historical information from the days of Jesus Christ. We now introduce you to the Prefect of Judea, the Roman judge who changed history, Pontius Pilate.
2: Two thousand years have passed since that fateful Easter week. And yet every time you quote your apostles' creed and invoke my name, you announce for the world to hear how your Jesus of Nazareth suffered and was crucified under Pontius Pilate. You have cloistered me next to the traitor Judas Iscariot, seeing me as a spineless judge who would not free an innocent man and hold me directly responsible for the death of your Christ King but you do not know what makes me tick. You don't understand the complexities of my position. You were blind to the events that occurred behind the scenes that determined the fate of your God. The truth is that I am not here to entertain or amuse you. I am not here to make you feel good about yourself. And frankly, I could care less if you like me. My name is Pontio Pilato, the prefect of Judea. And I am here to set the record straight concerning my role in your Easter story. To do that, I have to go back, way back to my life in Rome as a privileged and wealthy citizen of the Roman Empire. My family, the Ponti, we were of the equestrian order second only to the senatorial class. My father made sure that I received a very good and excellent Roman education. But at an early age, everyone could see that I did not have the tact or the patience or the diplomacy to serve in the halls of the Republic. And so I enlisted in the greatest army known to mankind. I paid my dues. I served in various military posts and eventually was named a tribute of the Praetorian Guard. The most elite and the most well-trained that the Roman army had to offer commissioned to protect Emperor Tiberius himself and serve as the military police of Rome. My direct supervisor, my commander, was my good friend and mentor, Sejanus. He was a brilliant military and political tactician. He not only had the listening ear of Emperor Tiberius himself, but was the second most powerful man in the empire, and as such was rumored to be a possible successor to the throne. He was the one that introduced me to greatness. He was my ticket to power. Late one afternoon, I was summoned to the imperial palace. Sejanus wanted to speak with me. I arrived. His docket was full of meetings. And after a very brief but warm greeting, he told me what he needed to speak to me about. Valerius Gratus has just submitted his resignation as prefect, uh, governor of Judea. When I meet with Emperor Tiberius, we will, amongst other things, decide who will become the new governor. And I am going to suggest that you, Pontius, become the new prefect of Judea. What do you think, Pontius? You're perfect for the job. You're firm. You're tough. You won't take any of that nonsense of those God-forsaken Jews. I, I was overwhelmed with excitement. M- mind you, it was not like being commissioned to Syria or, or to Egypt. But it was a massive promotion for me. I could not turn it down. Mind you, the Tiberius will have to confirm you, Sejanus said, but let me take care of that. Off you go, Pontius. You must prepare. You leave in three months. So prepare I did for my new position in my journey to Palestine. My first order of business was to meet with the the former governor, prefect of Judea, Ananus Rufus. He had retired in Rome and he would be responsible to brief me on Judean culture and political affairs. The religious capital of seven million Jews, Judea, uh, controlled the communication lines and the trade routes from Asia to Africa, not to mention the military strategic significance it held for our eastern provinces. As a people, the Jews, they had irrational religious beliefs, incomprehensible traditions that were hard to explain and understand. Rufus told me that the Jews they believed in, in a coming of a messiah this this messiah was to he was to be a religious, political, military leader sent to them no less by God to free them from all oppression, and by that they meant us. <laughs> we had a good laugh at that one. The most important preparation I had to make was to make things right, with Claudia Procula, my fiancée. My family and hers, they had arraigned our marriage when we were teenagers, and, and yet in the last 12 months we had, we had fallen in love, a, a, a surprising but very welcome development. Nevertheless, I had still not married her. I don't know why. You know what they say about marriage. Marriage is like a phone call in the middle of the night. First you get the ring, and then you wake up. (laughs) But it was not like that with Prokula. Some of you are just getting that, yes. No, she was elegant and beautiful. She proved to be a very capable advisor, even in the area of state affairs. Her mother, she was not very happy with me having to prepare and plan a wedding on such short notice, and then taking her one and only daughter as far away as possible. I, on the other hand, could not wait to get as far away from my mother-in-law as I could, and all the brave men here said, Yes, you better watch it, you'll be sleeping on the couch tonight. (laughs) Two weeks after the wedding, we set sail on the trident of Neptune, that would take us across the Mediterranean Sea to Caesarea Maritima, the administrative capital of Judea in my home for the next 10 years of my life. When we arrived, the skyline of Caesarea was unusually impressive, far too grand to what we had been told of Palestine. In most of the city, it was made of a beautiful white marble stone It had been constructed, most of the city, by a madman by the name of Herod the Great. He had murdered three of his sons. He had murdered his wife, his grandfather, and hundreds of infants in a small village trying to rid himself of one of these so-called messiahs. Our residence, it was a beautiful Greco-Roman mansion right right on the sea, tropical gardens Um, private pool, administrative offices in the center of a boat. It was gorgeous, and Prokula and I were becoming very glad that we had been sent to Judea. I did not take the normal time allotted for a prefect to settle in. I was anxious to begin my challenge. As prefect of Judea, I had absolute authority in judicial, military, and financial administration of the province but as i could see i was concerned about my ability to carry on my responsibilities as i could see ah uh, we were undermanned understaffed and undersupplied i had 3000 troops at my command and those were not going to be sufficient if the jews ever decided to mount a well organized revolution the leaders of the jewish people they knew this and they seemed to use this at every opportunity to gain advantage There were two I had to especially keep my eye on. There was Lord Caiaphas, high priest of Jerusalem. Extremely powerful, politically ambitious, and sly beyond belief. I was told you could work with him, but had to keep him close by your side. And then there was Herod Antipas, the tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. Very vicious, very clever, very much so, the son of Herod the Great. He proved to be my most worthy adversary. The first major confrontation that I had with the Jews occurred when I sent the Augustan unit to Jerusalem. This was a famed battalion of soldiers that had been given the honor of wearing the colors and having the image of Emperor Tiberius on their banners. I did not know that the Jews were were passionately sensitive against images as they considered it a direct violation of one of their Ten Commandments. As soon as Augustine unit arrived in Jerusalem, a courier informed me that we had trouble in Jerusalem. I could have easily restationed my men. But the words of my mentor Sejanus kept ringing in my ears. Be firm, Pontio, Be firm! And so I was. I did not back down. In fact, on the sixth day of the, of the revolt, of the protest, uh, what I did is I surrounded the men in the market. The high authorities in, in Jerusalem had commanded them to go into the market and make a mess of the daily practices and business going on right there. It was not good. I had to do something as prefect. When my men surrounded them, I... Spoke to the crowd, and I and I ordered them to disperse, or there would be trouble. Immediately, one of the Jews and they began to say that they bared their necks and said they would prefer to die than than to violate one of their religious laws. I had grossly underestimated the resolve of their protest. I I I I I knew I needed to be firm. I knew that if I backed down, it would not be a good precedent for my administration. But I had also been charged with keeping the peace. And if I followed through on my threat, if I gave violence, then this could escalate into, into revolt, rebellion. So I swallowed my pride and made up some excuse about having to do all this to test, test the convictions of, of their beliefs. And I sent my men back to Caesarea. Caesarea. I was embarrassed, and I looked for my opportunity for political revenge. That came two years later. I I was in Jerusalem for Passover, and while I was there, I became increasingly frustrated that I did not have enough water for my horses to drink, for my kitchen staff to cook, for my wife to bathe. During Passover, so many pilgrims would come to the city of Jerusalem. It would cause not only security problems. For me, it would cause menial more simple problems, not like not having enough water for inhabitants of Jerusalem and the massive pilgrim crowd. Jerusalem needed a better source and supply of water. I met with city officials, engineers, architects, and I decided to build an aqueduct. Now I had to just find out and figure out how to pay for it. I met with my council. We decided that raising taxes, it was not a good idea, not a good solution. And then I was told of a financial loophole that I could take if I had the courage to do so. Apparently, as prefect of Judea, I had the authority to dip into temple treasury, the temple accounts, bank accounts, should I consider it absolutely necessary. This was my opportunity for political revenge. I summoned Lord Caiaphas, high priest, and some of his staff. They came to my offices, and I announced that the temple treasury would defray the cost of my project, the Equeduct. I must say I, I received immeasurable amounts of joy watching them squirm and protest over my decision what I was doing was highly unorthodox it would be the equivalent of you dipping into your offering monies into your checkbook to buy a brand new sports car and holiday golf vacation for your pastor (laughs) which now that I think about it that is not a bad idea if you think about it it was done the offerings from temple treasury would pay for my project I returned to Jerusalem a year later excited as I walked through like general contractor construction site to see the aqueduct being built but then I had heard that the people of Jerusalem had heard that I had seized their temple funds they were not happy the following morning I was awakened by a large crowd yelling threats outside the expanse of my palace I had breakfast I appeared before them in my royal robe, but not before scattering my men amongst them, but this time dressed as civilians. Now, I spoke calmly with them. I assured them I had not pocketed the money. No, this would be good for them. It would be good for Jerusalem. But they would not listen. They jeered me and insulted me. So again, I calmly ordered them, to leave the expense of my palace or there would be trouble. They laughed at me. They must have thought I was bluffing. They did not know that my men were scattered among them. Some of them must have remembered the threat that I had made two years earlier. It had sounded the same and then I had had to back down. They did not leave. And so finally, eventually... I gave the order, and when it was all done, over 3,000 Jews were dead in front of me as my men cut them down. My mentor, Sejanus, would have been proud of me. My wife, Procula, she was not. She did not speak a single word to me on our way back to Caesarea Maritima. This bothered me, some, because other than Brocola, my only friends were Roman military personnel, and there weren't that many of them. Most of my troops, they were of mixed Syrian and Samaritan descent. There was one, one, and a commander, and I think it was called the Italian regiment. His name was Cornelius. I developed a, a good friendship with him. One of the Jewish servant girls in our home, she fancied Cornelius, and Procula had gone about hooking them up. They had married, and Cornelius, he had become a God-fearing Roman, we called them. He'd accepted the belief, the Jewish belief in a one true God. It bothered me a little, but not that much. After all, he had a keen sense of humor, a great wit, common sense that only good Romans have. I respected him. In fact, gave him some of the more sensitive things that I had to send our soldiers on. Like when I sent him up to Galilee, there were talks of a new Messiah type that was on the scene. One that was preaching in an unorthodox style, drawing enormous crowds to himself. He was preaching revolution, speaking of new kingdom that he would establish on earth. If this was true, we would have to get rid of it immediately. When Cornelius returned and briefed me on this Messiah type, it was Yeshua Hanrosi, your Jesus of Nazareth. He, he told me that he was speaking of revolution, but it was not a call to arms. No, it was inner revolution, he called it spiritual revolution. There was even talk about him healing people, of him feeding thousands of, with but a few scraps of food, of him commanding the skies to stop raining and wind to stop blowing. This was all very interesting, but it had nothing to do with politics, so I dropped it, assuming it would go away. My wife, she did not drop it and continued to inquire from our Jewish servants about this man, who he was, what he spoke about, where he had come from. In the year 32, Anno Domini, events occurring in Rome, shattered the Roman Empire and radiated throughout the Mediterranean Sea. It was more than just a passing crisis. No, now what was occurring would threaten my very life. And listen carefully, it, it would affect directly what I would do with your Jesus months coming. Emperor Tiberius had accused my friend Mentor Sejanus of high treason. Evidence was brought forth to the Roman Senate of a systematic conspiracy of his attempt to take over throne. Within hours of this information coming forth, Sejanus was strangled. His body was, was taken through the streets of Rome on a hook and his corpse was mercilessly thrown into Tiber River. What followed was the execution and elimination of all of his family and close associates as a lynch mob made their way through Rome in what turned out to be a general massacre. My relationship with Sejanus, once an asset, was now a liability. I was far away, but I wondered, would, would they remember my friendship with him? Would they remember that I had once been his star pupil? A month after his death, I received a a message from Emperor Tiberius himself. This was it. This would determine my fate. I opened it and read carefully. Uh, There was a veiled reference to my relationship with Sejanus, but it did not seem that I would be held responsible for his treason. I was given a direct command. I was to desist all anti-jewish directives that had been given to me by Sejanus from this point on i was to work with jewish authorities even placate them for the moment my life had been spared but from then on my administration would have to go in a new direction months later i went to jerusalem for passover as i did every year for several weeks this time was different because Brokola, she wanted to come with me. That was not usual. I, I did not think it a good idea. It was too risky. The, the city was seething with unrest. But my wife, um, through gentle persuasion and, and indirect coaxing and a tear or two, she was able to do what any skillful wife is able to do, change the mind of her husband had she been honest with me as to her true motive, it would have never happened. Cornelius had told her that Yeshua Hanrosi, Jesus of Nazareth, would be in Jerusalem for Passover. She had more than a passing interest in this Jesus. When we arrived in Jerusalem from the north, I remember Prokula, she pointed out on the eastern side of Mount of Olives, there There was a large crowd gathering at the base. They were waving palm branches in the air, a national sign of Judean independence. They were welcoming someone into the city gates. Later that night, I was briefed. It was none other than Jesus of Nazareth. I could tell he was heading down the road of confrontation they had referred to him as the son of David this was a loaded term if he stayed in the political arena and he followed through on that term acclaiming the throne I would have to step forth on behalf of Rome if he stayed in the religious arena Lord Caiaphas would certainly not stand still he had already Jesus referred to them as whitewashed tombs clean and respectable on the outside but like any tomb dead and dying on the inside since then, I have come to realize that most of us can be just like that. But it takes courage to admit and do something about it. That week, I arrested some. I met with city officials. And on Thursday, set up my court, as was my custom. The cases, they were easy. A couple acquittals, one imprisonment. There, there was one capital case. Some highway robbers had had attacked pilgrims coming into Jerusalem. I had found them guilty. They would, they would face a Roman cross by the weekend. That evening, Brokula and I, we were to dine with uh, my bitter rival, Herod Antipas. I, I did not want to go, but it, it would be against protocol to, to turn that down. He was also in, uh, there for Jewish Passover festivities. Uh, little did I know that as I dined with Herod Antipas, just few blocks away, a group of 13 met in an upper room. It was your Galilean preacher and his disciples, you call him. They were celebrating early Passover meal. He, Jesus, he handed out bread and wine, but he added new twists. Said that the bread and the wine now represented his broken body and shed blood on behalf of many. Late that night, when Prokul and I were already getting ready for bed, my private administrator came to me with a message from Lord Caiaphas. They had arrested Jesus of Nazareth. He would appear before the Sanhedrin court that very night on trial. Lord Caiaphas was suggesting that because of popularity of Jesus, that I maintain my troops on high alert... Uh, The last part of the message, Caiaphas assured me that Yeshua would receive fair trial. (laughs) Procula, she she leaned over and read the note. She was incensed and she said, Pontius, are are you not going to do anything about this? It was the first but not the last time she would stand up for the Galilean. The following morning I was awake at 5.30 in court at 7.00. I was tying up loose ends when all of a sudden a large crowd of temple priests and guardsmen and scribes were outside the Antonia's fortress. One messenger came into my courtroom and said that that Lord Caiaphas and Sanhedrin were outside. They needed my confirmation of of a conviction that they were bringing against Yeshua and Rossi. I should have made them wait their turn. But the messenger reminded me a trial had already occurred. They already had the conviction. They merely needed my confirmation. Do you know why? They were seeking the death penalty. I was curious about this Jesus. I had heard so much about them, so I had them come in. There he was, bound, powerless, unkept. He clearly had been roughed up some. I am accustomed to looking at criminals and looking at the antics of those that are convicted, which is why I was so surprised when I looked into the eyes of Yeshua. It was different. He, he was not ashamed or fearful, almost quietly confident. There was no sense of vindictiveness or revenge in his eyes. No, you would say, Mercy! I read the clearly trumped-up charges and I decided that I would have a private hearing with Jesus of Nazareth.
0: So you are the king of the Jews. King's your word. Well, you are Jesus of Nazareth, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, that's what they're saying. You are the king, the messiah. It's also said that you do miracles. Is this good magic or bad magic? Could we have some kind of uh, demonstration? I mean, can you do a trick for me now, say? No, I'm not a trained animal. I'm not a magician. That's disappointing. This means that you're just another Jewish politician. Do you want to know something? You're more dangerous than the zealots. Do you know that? Say something. You had better say something. All right.
2: He would not speak. He would not defend himself. Uh, he did speak of his kingship. One he said was not of this world. He, he at one point said that he had come from God uh, to, to, to share the love of God, he had come to share the truth of God. I asked him what the truth was. He did not speak. But I could see he was not a criminal. And so I returned to the Jewish delegation and I said, "Uh, this Jesus, he is a Galilean, right? Since Galileans fall under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas, I suggest you go see him. He's in town, I know, because I dined with him last night. And off they went. I was so hoping Herod Antipas would deal with the situation. But at least I had bought myself some time. He didn't. Herod in his infinite wisdom and keen political sense merely mocked him and sent him back to me with a royal robe draped around his shoulders. I I did not think he was guilty. Clearly Antipas saw nothing wrong with him. What did the Jewish delegation want from me? I continued to argue with Caiaphas and members of Sanhedrin and finally I made up my mind. I stood before a large crowd and, and I said, as prefect of Judea and representative of his imperial majesty, I, Pontius Pilate, declare Jesus of Nazareth not guilty. The defendant is free to go. This court is adjourned. No sooner had I spoke those words, a young scribe up front pointed at Yeshua and yelled, It's dele, crucify him! It's crucify him! Within moments, a blood-curling yell came together as one voice as they demanded death. Why did they hate this man so much? I was having to reconsider. I again began to speak with Lord Caiaphas. And right then, right at that very moment, my wife, Procula, She had a way, maybe your wife too, of needing me at the most inopportune moments. I had a note that she she needed to speak with me urgently, immediately. So I excused myself and went to go find my wife.
0: Wait a moment. It's him. The man from my dream. I don't understand. They want him crucified. No, 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 you mustn't. My dream was telling us, warning us, you mustn't harm this man. Caiaphas. Don't listen to Caiaphas. He's the high priest, not some minor elder. You know Jerusalem. It's like putting your hand into a beehive
2: frightened.
0: There are ways. There's always a way.
2: I know what I can do. I decided to invoke a Passover custom of releasing a prisoner. I would give them the option of Yeshua, Handrosi, Jesus of Nazareth, or a criminal I had in custody called Barabbas. I had carefully chosen these two. uh, Barabbas, he was violent. He, He was dangerous. He was a thug. Certainly they would not want him free, which is why I was all the more surprised when that's exactly what they asked for. I did not believe Jesus to be guilty. I was trying to set him free, but I was being backed into a corner with fewer and fewer options. My next thought was to have Jesus beaten. Roman scourging was called the halfway death because it would take men just this side of death. My men took him to the courtyard. They stripped him down, tied his wrist to a post, and they began the punishment. It was vicious and it was vile. Many did not make it through this this beating. Many would breathe their last breath. They would use a long whip with pieces of lead and sharp bone. Every time it would, it would hit the man's back, it would rip the skin off. When they were done with Yeshua, He was unconscious. They threw a bucket of water on Him. There was blood everywhere. The deep sinews of His muscles could be seen. The veins and the arteries were there for all to see. Certainly. Certainly. Certainly the crowd would be satisfied with this, but they weren't. As soon as they, they saw Jesus returning to judgment hall, the crowd, now more vicious and more angry, began to yell again, Its tele, crucify him, eatztele. An older rabbi he, he said he said, Prefect, you, you must convict him. You must execute him. Because our laws says that that must happen. He claimed to be the Son of God. Wait, this, this was a new charge. But why had they not brought this up before? I turned my back to the crowd so that only Jesus could listen. And I asked him, Who are you? Where, where do you come from? Do, do you claim to be son of God? I said, don't you know that I have the authority to release or execute you? You know what he said to me? The authority you have, Lord Prefect, only comes to you by the will of my Father. You know what bothered me about the proceedings more than anything else? His disciples were nowhere to be found. His followers were not standing up in His defense. I, I was acting as His sole defense attorney. At that very moment, Rabbi Ananias spoke, and he said, Lord Prefect, we know that Emperor Tiberius has charged you with, with upholding our laws, with respecting our faith. If you allow Yeshua to to leave, you, you mock our holy faith. There's certainly where we violence. If you allow Yeshua to, to, to go, you are not a friend of Caesar. Check, mate. They used their trump card Call it political blackmail or strategic threat, whatever you want. The words of Rabbi Ananias could only be interpreted in one way. If I did not execute Yeshua Han the Sanhedrin would send delegation to Rome and they would speak to Emperor Tiberius and tell them of their displeasure with Pontius Pilato. I I could not risk that. Not after what had just happened months prior with Sejanus. And so I issued the order. He would be executed that afternoon on the cross. Crucifixion. I was a proud Roman, but crucifixion was something I had hoped the Roman Empire would one day abolish. It was cruel. It was inhumane. It was designed to create as much pain as you could possibly create. A man with Roman spikes were were driven through his ankles and through his wrists. He would hang on a cross for hours to suffer. Most men, do you know how they would die? They would die through asphyxiation, unable to breathe. Some men, they would die through drowning, literally drowning on the blood and fluids in their lungs. I was drained by the events of that morning. I canceled the rest of my court cases and I went to my residence only to be confronted by the tear-filled eyes of my wife, Brocula. I told her I'd be eating alone by the pool where I drank more than was usual for me as I thought about what was going on at that very moment on a hill called Golgotha. The sights and smells of a crucifixion were more grotesque than any of you could imagine. I do remember before I signed the execution order, I remember standing before the crowd and, and washing my hands, washing my hands symbolically of his blood. I, I was not responsible for what had happened. I, I was not to be held accountable. <laughs> if it only was that easy for us, us, to deny the role we played, I have read your religious writings. Oh, you may have not been there like I was but the fingerprints of your sin were all over that cross. It was not only I that put Him there. The events of that afternoon, they were strange. The the storm, the darkness, the earthquake. I must have been an hour or two after the tremors. Several of the associates and friends of Yeshua, they came to me requesting His body for burial, which of course I granted The rest of the weekend, it was slow, it was quiet, which was good, it was what I needed. On Sunday, there was a group that gathered in the northeast side of the city to see the damage that the earthquake had caused, but then on Monday, on Monday, a story began to spread through the city of Jerusalem that the tomb of Jesus was empty and that he had risen from the dead. Why wouldn't this go away? I spent the, the remainder of my week meeting with, with Jewish officials and with, with those who had crucified them, with the soldiers that I had stationed at the, at the tomb to make sure exactly this nonsense would not happen. There was no logical explanation to why this had co- occurred. There was an explanation, but I was not prepared to accept that explanation. My troubles continued to mount, uh, because day after day, the the appearances of of a risen Christ continued to happen, and His followers went from cowering in an upper room to preaching a risen Christ in front of my palace and in the temple square. Something happened in my city 2,000 years ago that no one could stop and that changed the world as we know it. There was part of me that wanted to get to the bottom of it. There was another part of me that wanted to run as fast as I could, which is actually what I did a week later when I left to my home, back to Caesarea Maritima. Ram- as it turned out, I did not remain prefect of Judea much longer. There was a Samaritan uprising that I put down with grave violence. A Samaritan delegation, they went to my immediate supervisor in Syria, accused me of abuse of power. And they got their way. I was being recalled to Rome. I would explain my actions to Emperor Tiberius himself. And just like that, ten years of my life in Judea came to an end. (laughs) After two weeks, Prokul and I had packed. We were ready to sail. I remember it must have been a day or two before we left. We had lunch on patio in our home, and we began to reminisce of the past decade, the friends that we had made, the projects I'd completed, the, pos- the positive contributions. I, we also spoke of some of the more difficult times, like the trial of Yeshua Androssi. I. I could speak to Prokula. I, I told her I, I still did not know Veritas truth. I did not know what had happened that weekend. I could not explain where his body had gone. I remember how my wife Procula spoke to me about Veritas. That's our word for truth. Veritas. Truth. My political truth is that before I arrived in Rome, Emperor Tiberius died and they knew Caesar, a young Caligula, dismissed all charges and sent me into early retirement. My financial truth is that I received a great stipend and retirement package from government allowing me to live in a wonderful villa just outside of Rome. My spiritual truth, I don't know about that. But did you know that the Christians, they, they started meeting in Rome itself? <laughs> My wife began to attend meetings. She actually became a better woman than I already knew her to be. At once she boldly proclaimed that she had, what was the word she used, and accepted the truth about Yeshua, Jesus. Veritas. Truth. The truth is that every single one of us at some point in time will have to ask the hard questions about life and death. At some point in time, we will ask to to determine who was Jesus. Why did he really die? Did he raise from the dead? And can he still impact my life today? Eventually, I took responsibility for the role that I played in putting him on the cross. The only question left to ask is, have you... My name is Pontio Pilato, Prefect of Judea. Thank you for your attention. Have a blessed Easter. I hope you guys enjoyed learning about Pilate. I know that I enjoyed studying his life to share with you this morning. I want to make sure that this morning is not just about Dave putting on some outfit and doing a little skit. I want to make sure that we get something out of his life and what we can learn from it. You know, there was at least three mistakes that Pilate made. First of all, he was unwilling to take a stand for what was right. You know what 's strange about Christian history is that we 're pretty hard on Pilate. but when you read the Gospels, you see he was pretty much the only one that was consistently trying to get Jesus freed. Nevertheless, uh, he at some point in time did not have the emotional strength and fortitude to stand up for what he believed to be right, which was the innocence of Jesus regardless of the political reasons and so on and so forth but i guess what i want to talk to you about for a second is that we do the same thing i bet you every one of us here has got some some decision in our life we know we should make it's a good decision it's a right decision but we're putting it off and we keep putting it off because it's a hard decision to make or there's pre pressure not to make it or or we don't see the immediate benefits of it right away and i guess what i want to encourage you to do is don't do that don't put it off anymore Do what's right, do what's true, and trust that God's going to honor you in that decision. The second mistake that Pilate made is he attempted to excuse himself from responsibility. That whole scene where he washes his hands was just that. He's trying to excuse himself and say, it wasn't my fault. Uh, You know, it's other people's fault. And you know what? None of us likes to admit when we're wrong. We never want to admit when it's our fault. But could I tell you that the Bible says that unless you have the courage to do that, To admit that you're wrong at times, to admit that you have mistakes, to to admit that you have sin in your life. First of all, you kind of block becoming a better person and improving, but most importantly and most dangerously, you block connecting to God. Could I encourage you? Have the courage to look in your soul and admit that there's some issues and admit that there's some sin and confess that and deal with it and try and work on it. The last mistake Pilate makes is he's more concerned with the present than the eternal. He's more concerned with his present power and his present position than the eternal. Now, I'm all for getting the most out of today and squeezing life out of today, but it's absolutely foolish to not consider what's on the other side of life. It's foolish to consider what eternity is all about. You know, today is, it's really not about Pilate. Today is about Jesus, and it's about you. It's about making sure that you don't make those mistakes with Jesus. Maybe some of you are here today, and you've sensed, even from when you walked in, that God was drawing you to himself through the music and the drama and the videos. You just sensed that God was drawing you to himself. If you've sensed that, maybe today's the day you stop making these mistakes with Jesus. Maybe today's the day. That you finally take a stand for who he was. And you finally admit, I, I'm not going to resist him anymore. I'm going to trust and believe that he was who he said he was. That, that you stop, that you, you stop uh, excusing your responsibility and admit that you have sin in your life. And finally, that you do the last one. Instead of focusing only on today, you focus on eternity. And you make sure that your eternity is secure with God in heaven for eternity. Now, for those of you who have already made that decision, could, could I just take a step back? Nevertheless, if you look on that screen, every single one of us is probably making at least one of those mistakes right now. Let's learn the lesson from Pilate's life. Let's not make those same mistakes. Let's close in a word of prayer as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed if you have sensed this morning that God has been drawing you to himself and you sense in your gut and in your soul that today is the day you give your life to Jesus I just want to encourage you as best as you know how in your heart to, to pray this simple prayer dear heavenly father today on Easter I admit and I believe that your son Jesus lived a perfect life and died a perfect death on the cross that his shed blood that His spilt blood is the only thing that gains me access to you. It's the only thing that completely gains me forgiveness for my sins. And today, as best as I know how, I embrace Jesus Christ and the cross and what it represents, believing that He did raise from the dead, proving He was more than just a mere man. From this day forward, I want Him to be the Savior of my soul. I want Him to be the Lord of my life. And I'm going to do the best I can to obey you and to follow you knowing that I can't do it on my own. I'll need the help of others. I'll need your help, God, to help guide and direct me through life. Dear Heavenly Father, for everybody who prayed that prayer this morning or as a child in Sunday school class years ago, we rejoice and we are thankful for your son, Jesus. We are thankful that you have communicated to us through Him and that You have redeemed us through Him. Father, for those who have not yet made that decision or prayed that prayer, they've got questions still, they've got some issues they're working through or some past something that they're struggling with, I, just, I pray that You would encourage them as well. I pray that You would give them answers to their questions as they continue on this spiritual journey. But Heavenly Father, today, as we reflect not on the person of Pilate, but on the person of Jesus Christ, we take a moment. We take a moment to thank you for doing what you did not have to do. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.